Just super excited to be here this morning. If you would take your Bible this morning, we're going to go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I've got great news for you. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at your neighbors. If they don't have a Bible, you can look on a smartphone. If your phone goes and it flips up in a position, it doesn't have it. Okay, so don't worry about it. But we have a really big Bible uh, behind you on the screen. So I'd love for you to follow. I'd love for you to take some notes. Um, I honestly believe this to be true. Anytime we get in a church setting, I honestly, honestly believe this to be true. I am so thankful for what God does when we get together and we worship. And can you just say, man, you guys have a tremendous worship team. Can we just give it up for them this morning? We're doing so good, leading us into God's presence. Man, you guys got a great media team, a great children's team. You got great pastors. And uh, I, I just think there's something special when we decide on a Sunday morning that we're going to start our week off right. I tell people all the time, you have no uh, excuse to be grumpy on Mondays, right? People get grumpy on Monday. Monday is not the first day of the week. It's the second day of the week. So if you're going to be grumpy, be grumpy on Sunday. Joking. Do not be grumpy on Sunday because that would make for a very miserable time for me right now. No. When you come and you get into God's presence and you worship Him and you receive from His Word, I believe it sets the tone for the rest of the week. And I just want to encourage you, listen, I am a pastor. I pastor a church in San Luis Obispo. And I tell people the greatest decision you will ever make on a Sunday is to be in the house of God. And parent, let me just tell you this, the greatest decision you'll ever make is to make sure your children know that Sunday is where we start our week, okay? Are you guys all right with that? Listen, you know, we live in a culture right now that says attending church once a month is okay. I think that's crazy, right? People say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right, but if you want to be a growing Christian, you do. If you want to be challenged, you should. Have you ever opened up your Bible throughout the week and go, huh, what does that mean? You ever done that before? Okay, where do you think you're going to get the answer to that? In God's house. Amen? Amen. So that's what we're going to do today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're taking notes today, I'm speaking from the subject of mastermind. Change your thinking. Change your life. Everyone say mastermind. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to be looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, but more so, we're going to be looking at the mind of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was an, was an amazing man, two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote it. But when you look at his life, you determine very quickly that he had to do something that a lot of us need to start doing today and need to continue to do, and that was actually master his mind. The Apostle Paul had amazing ability of doing this. Think about this. He goes to Rome to preach the gospel. You ready for this? He gets to Rome, and he gets thrown in prison. You ever like been, hey, God, I'm going to go do this, and then you get somewhere, and it, it, like, it doesn't happen? You ever been there before? Am I the only one? Okay, good. I love interactions. So like if you guys want to raise your hand, raise your feet, do whatever, make some noise, I'm okay with that. But have you ever thought if I just do this, this will happen, and then you get there and you realize it does not happen? Ladies, you, you want to get married because you're like, man, this guy's going to change my life, and it's going to be good. And then you get married, and you're like, what have I done? Like I thought it was going to be this, and then it's this. All the parents in the room, man, you can could, you could relate. We're going to have kids. It's going to be great. That first night of no sleep, no problem, man. I signed up for this. This is awesome. Day number three, okay. This is somewhat okay. Day number seven, what in the world was I thinking? Right? You think something's going to be one way, and it turns out to be another way. I work with college students. I'm in a college town, 22,000 students in my town. 
So like when they're there, it's crazy. When they're gone, ghost town, and I can park anywhere that I want. But I see it all the time. I'm going to go to college. It's going to be great. I'm going to have some freedom. Mom and dad aren't going to know nothing. Three weeks in, they are done. They have no more home-cooked meals. Mom's not doing laundry. They hate school. They hate work. And they're saying, what in the world was I thinking? I think we've all been there. Paul was there. Hey, God, I'm going to go to Rome and preach the gospel so people can get saved. Now he's in a prison. Hey, God, where are you at? You ever been there? Hey, God, your word says this. Hey, God, where are you at? But Paul had something that was really amazing to me. He had the ability to master his thought life. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. I realize that you don't know me and I don't know you. So I realized that, man, when I was praying, hey, God, what would you have me to say? I really felt God say, begin to talk about their mind. Begin to help them understand that your mind, listen, they would say back in the day that love is a battlefield. And some of you are old enough to know that song. Don't look at me that way. You know it's true. But I don't believe that. I believe the mind is a battlefield. I believe that your life and what you want it to be and what it should be will be determined by your ability to take wrong thoughts that come into this mind and that you begin to turn them and think the way that God would want you to think. I believe today that I want you being able to leave this place knowing that if I have a very hard, difficult time in my mind, that I'm going to be able to do something. Now, today I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And the reason I do that is very intentional. If you just come here and sit and listen and don't think for yourself, you're going to walk out of here unchanged. I, I don't like that. That's kind of boring to me, right? I want to be able to walk out of here knowing that I have an action step to take in whatever the topic is. Did you know that anytime you send a church service, you can get something from it? Now, luckily, you guys don't have a boring pastor. Okay, he's, he's not boring. Listen, I've been to some boring churches. <laughs> Guy in the back has his hands up like, amen, brother, amen. I'm here to tell you, any church service you sit in, you, you can get something. And if you're not getting something, it's because you're not listening close enough. Okay, so I'm going to answer two questions. Two questions, okay? This is what I do in every single sermon. <laughs> I say this every week to my church. I'm probably like, yeah, 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 we get it, okay? There's going to be two questions that I'm going to answer today that I want you to be able to. Is what do I need to know and what do I need to do? Those are going to be two things. So here's what I want you to know. Okay, I want you to write this down, okay, and then I'll read the scripture. I'm going to go all over the place in the media team, so just be with me, okay? Here's what I want you to know. Write this down. Your life and my life will move in the direction of my strongest thoughts. That's what I want you to know, okay? Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That's what I want you to know. Now, here in a little bit, I'm going to give you two things that you need to do, but I want to set this up so it makes sense. All right, here we go. Second Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war. Everyone say wage war. As the world does, for the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And then it goes on to say this, that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. Pause. That means that things that come into our mind that are not of God, we have a job to do. It goes on to say, and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Every parent in this room loves that word, obedient. 
So I'm here to tell you today that every thought that comes into your mind, and if it's not of God, you've got a job to do. And the Bible gives us some promises. Right here we see two words in the scripture that we need to know. The first thing it says is that we have this power. Everyone say power. power. Okay, so you know this. The, the, the Greek word for power is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite, which is powerful, which is explosive, <laughs> which can leave a mark, right? It says this, that God has given us the divine power. So if you're here today and you say, hey, you know what? When it comes to my thought life, I can't control it. You know what you're saying? You're saying you don't believe God and that you do not believe his word. Well, I, I, can't, I can't take responsibility for my thoughts. I can't control them. Okay, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Oh, what's number nine? Self-control. Oh, I just can't control myself. Okay, well, then you don't believe God. It's kind of hard when it's that simple, huh? You know what I tell people all the time? You want success in life? I'll give it to you. Read the Bible. Do what it says. Like, we complicate stuff. Here's five steps for you to do this. Here's one. Read the Bible. Do what it says. Works every time. Works every time. So Paul here says this. Here's the thing. I've given you divine power, but then he brings up this word stronghold. What's a stronghold? Okay, well, the dictionary or a Greek dictionary would say this. It would say a stronghold is like a fortified prison. I was reading this in a commentary. It's like a fortified prison. And there's a prisoner inside the prison. And guess what? There's no lock on the door. They're in this prison, but it's a prison of deception. It's a prison of lies. Watch here. So when negative thoughts come into your mind that are not of God and you believe them, you are now tied to the stronghold that the enemy has put into place. Because here's the reality. It's not even real. It's not true. We're going to get to it in just a moment. When those things begin to come, it's from the enemy. Have you noticed that throughout Scripture, the enemy is always contradicting what God says? Let's go back to the beginning. God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat of this fruit. What's the first thing Satan says? Did God really say? Is that a contradiction? Okay, let's go to the New Testament. Jesus is in the water. He's being baptized. A sound from heaven comes. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? That's the voice that comes. Jesus, from that point, gets baptized, goes into the wilderness, and there he's tempted. The enemy comes. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And what does he say? If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, jump off of here, and the angel will stop you. Satan is always contradicting what it is that God says. So when God says you have everything you need according to my riches and my glory, the enemy will come and say, hey, you don't have what you need. Hey, you're lacking. Hey, you're wanting. Hey, you're never going to have enough. He's always going to contradict whatever it is that God says. Okay, so if we take all of that, we realize that the enemy is trying to get us into a place of a stronghold, which is a lie, which is deception. That's the premise. So then Paul says, but here's the thing. We demolish those things. Do you notice how offensive-minded that sounds? That's not, okay, that's not defense, right? Like, oh, the enemy's coming. No, no, no. Offensive mind says this, that when a wrong thought comes in that is not of God, that I know God's word because I take it captive to the obedience of Christ, that that means when a lie comes and says, I do not have what I need, that I'm able to get offensive minded and strike back and say, no, according to his riches and glories, I have all that I need. Right? 
When I don't feel like I've got purpose, the enemy comes and says, you have no purpose. You're going to be nothing. You're going to amount to nothing. No, 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 no. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Wrong thoughts come. God's word goes on the offense. Here's the problem. Now, keep in mind, I don't know you don't, so I'm not being mean. Here's the problem. Many of you, you're just playing defense, but you have no offense. You've started to believe the lies and the deception of the enemy, and you've bought into it. So the goal here today is to say this. We're going to take those lies, which are crippling your future, maybe even crippling your now, and we're going to look at God's word, and we're going to learn how to go on the offense. Because, again, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Say, it sounds pretty good. It sounds like self-help. No. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think, so you are. So if you think you can't, guess what? You probably can. If you think you can, guess what? You can. If you believe that you're a victim, always suffering at the hand of outside circumstances, guess what? You're a victim. You've chosen. It's up to you. If you believe that you can overcome through the power of Christ, guess what? You can overcome. Listen, if you're always looking at problems, don't look at the person to the left or the right right now, especially if they're your spouse. But if you're always looking at the problems and dwelling on problems, here's here's the promise. Your problems will overwhelm you. But if instead you're looking for solutions, looking for the work of God, guess what? You'll find the solutions and you'll find that God is working. But it's all based on what you think because your life and my life will move in the direction of my strongest thoughts. Take any area in your life right now. Whatever you think about it, that's how good it's going. Now, here's the problem, okay? What do we need to know about our thoughts? Here's what we need to know. For almost all of us, in every situation, most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Okay, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, kids pastor for a few. So here's the illustration. Ready? A thought comes in, right? Comes in. I'm not good enough, not smart enough, gifted enough, talented. You fill in the blank. If it gets to your heart, you believe it. What does the Bible say? Out of the issues of your heart, the mahal. So if a wrong thought comes in and I start to believe it here, I start to speak it here. This is what I call the elevator. We're at the top. And here's the thing. You've got to watch what happens when it's going down. So if I have a wrong thought, where am I stopping it? My mouth. My words. Wait a minute. My words or God's words? So if a wrong thought comes, I can't just say, well, you know what? It's going to be okay. Doesn't sound really good. As Pastor Joe would say, it sounds a little hokey, right? When a wrong thought comes, I got to know God's word. So when that wrong thought comes, I begin to speak God's word. And when I speak God's word, it gets into my heart. And then I begin to walk it out in life. So if I think I can't, here's the bottom line. I can't. But here's the thing. It's a battle. Everyone say battle. It is a battle between God's truth about you. Watch here. And Satan's lies to you. Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. 
He is always trying to put things in your mind that are not of God, and you've got to begin to go on the offense and begin to speak God's word. So let's do this. Ready? Let's make it more personal. Let's take a thought audit. Yeah, I'm in a college town. This is what we do, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Think about your week real quick. Think about your life. Think about everything that's going on. Some of you are like, you really want me to go there right now? Yeah, I do. I do. Think about what you think about, okay? What you think about it. Now let's take a thought audit, okay? Worried versus peaceful. One to ten. Where would you be? Okay? Negative versus positive. One to ten. Where would you be? Thirdly, worldly versus eternal. Where would you be? Let's think about this, okay? I wonder, I wonder, how many of you are worried about what people think about you about your children, about the future, about money, about your job, about your health, about how long I'm going to preach today, or whatever. Do you worry? Are you in peace? Are you worried about different things versus those who have a peaceful mind, where you rest well at night? Your mind is full of peace. You're always at rest. There's no anxiety. Where would you be? Are you worried or are you peaceful? Okay, how about this one? Negative versus positive. Uh-oh, this might get a little crazy. Are you critical of people? Uh-oh. Are you generally negative? As Pastor Joy would say, are you ER? It'll never work. Right? You find fault easy. Are you discontented? Do you feel like life is always hard and it's never going to get better? Are you negative? Or... Do you see the positive? I believe the best about people. I believe life is generally good. I believe that God is with me and that God is for me. And if God is with me and if God is for me, everything's going to be okay. So therefore, I'm positive. Are you negative? Are you positive? Where would you be? Come on, you, you know where that number should be. Where would you be? How about worldly? Oh, this is a good one. How about worldly versus eternal? Would you say you're more worldly, thinking about the things of this world, what benefits me, what I get, what I have, what I want, me, 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 me? You know who, you, you know who started that? You did when you were a baby. And somebody would grab your toy, mine, mine, mine. And some of you are 40, 50, and 60, and you're still saying, mine, mine, mine. Never dealt with it. Everything's about me. I don't care what people think. People say, I'm a self-made millionaire. No, you're not. Someone bought your garbage. Someone helped you. I can't stand it when people say that. I made it myself. Well, even if you're not serving God, God created you. So whatever gift you have, he gave it to you. You just haven't recognized it yet. People say, I've done it all on my own. Come on. I know, right? That's what I'm thinking. All right. So here's the deal. Are you about you? Or are you eternal-minded, thinking about what benefits the kingdom of God? How can I be a blessing to others? How can I use my life to bring glory to God? Are you more worldly or are you more eternal? Take a thought on it. Where are you at? See, all of these things, they get us to a place where we begin to understand that it all comes back to our mind. Okay, so here's the thing. If my life and if your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Here's the question. You ready? Are you excited about where your thoughts are taking you? Think about it. 
If your life goes in the direction of your strongest thoughts, the direction you're going right now, does it excite you? Okay? I said this in the first service, but now I'll say it here. I'm going to get very personal here, okay? I'm going to let you into my life. I would say three months ago when I saw this question and I saw this thought, I would say as a believer of 19 years, a pastor of, oh, 18 years, I would say absolutely not. I would say that in the midst of my life, my thought life was not what it should have been. And if my life was going in that direction, then I am not excited and I'm not looking forward to it. And I'm gonna say, I'll explain more in a minute, but I just wasn't. You see, on this stage or at the stage of my church or whatever, man, it's so easy to look the part. Oh, man. Right? Man, we could, listen, all of us in this room, we can make life look really good, can't we? Right? I'll give you an example. Just grab someone's Instagram. Look at all their posts. Man, you can make life look any way that you want. Man, you can just, man, oh, man, my life is good. I'm at the beach. Boom, selfie. Which, let me just say this. If you're in the habit of taking selfies, would you stop? <laughs> Woo! Man, at least take an ussy or something, you know? But why's everything got to be just me, right? Man, I tell you what, man, I can make like, like life look so good with my family, with my kids, and with my church. Guys, I live on the central coast. I've got like five beaches within 10 to 15 minutes. I love my life. I can make things look good. As a pastor, I can make things look really good. But I tell you what, there are times when my thought life is so in the gutter that if when it's just me and my thoughts, I've got a real problem going on. And I've, I've, I've learned something. See, I've learned that sometimes it's okay to be open and honest about what it is you're going through. You know, they have these statements, you know, fake it until you make it. That's silly. Why fake it? You're hurting. You're empty. You're lacking purpose. And you're trying to figure it out all on your own. Why would you fake that? How about this one? And I get what they're saying, but just go with me, okay? Let go and let God. Okay, I get what you're saying. But if I don't take any personal responsibility, there's something wrong. Because I know a lot of people will say, hey, you know what? My life's a mess, but I'm going to let it go, and I'm going to let God. And I'm just going to sit around until God does something. <laughs> Yet all throughout the scripture, God would always say, and I'm paraphrasing here, that I have my part, and you got your part. So while we're sitting back and letting go and letting God, he's saying, stop being lazy and get up and go do something. So... In my thought life, in my thought life, right, he's saying that I have to take my thoughts captive to what? To the obedience of Christ. Well, if I don't have God's word in my mind and in my heart, then when that attack comes, I got nothing good to say. I got nothing to fall back on. So, so here's the deal. There's this battle going on. What do I need you to know? I need you to know that your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. There's a battle going on. Listen, the marriage you have is the result of the thoughts you think. Your financial situation is what you think. 
Your purpose, it's what you think. The joy or the lack of joy you have is based on what you think in your life and what you're focusing on and what you're thinking about. It's all based to what you think. So if that is the case, what in the world do I do? So glad you asked. Two points, and then we close, because I'm hungry, and I know you're hungry, and I'm the only person who has the control in this microphone to keep you here until midnight, like the Apostle Paul would in the book of Acts. And then there was this guy, it's a great story, he's sitting in the windowsill, he falls off because Paul's been preaching for like 12 hours, and luckily Paul's so good that Paul goes down, he prays for the young man, he raises him from the dead, he apologizes for preaching a boring sermon, he puts him, no, I'm just joking, he didn't do that. However, however, the kid did fall out of the window seal. Paul did pray for him and raise him from the dead. And then they went right back to preaching in the room. So I think Paul had everyone's attention at that point. Great story. Go look it up later. It's really good. Okay, here's the deal. If my life, if my thoughts aren't right, what do I need to do? Number one, simply write this. You have to identify the number one stronghold that's holding you back. Just one. Everyone say just one. Okay. I'm type A. I'm OCD. I've got a list. I've got a calendar. I cannot make a single decision in my life. Well, I should probably add my wife in there too. Um, I cannot do anything unless I see that. So when I hear this thought, okay, what's holding you back? <laughs> you want just one? I'll give you 20 right now. You want them? I'll pull it out. I'm saying, what's one? Like in your life right now, think about this. Maybe you've been thinking about this the whole time. Like you know what your stronghold is. You know what your issue is. There's a, there's a lack of trust. There's, a, there's doubt in your mind. There's worry. There's anxiety. There's fear. And it's crippling you. You can come to church and look good, but come on, deep down, you are scared to death. Some of you, you have, you have children, and you're so worried about them all the time that you can't even enjoy them. Because you're worried. What's their life going to be like? For some of you, it's trickled off into your grandkids. You're looking at it going, man, are they, are they going to serve God? Are they going to be okay? Are they going to have a purpose? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? Some of you, you are bound in the world of your finances, and you're saying things, and you're thinking things like, man, I'm never going to get on top. I'm never going to have enough. I'm always going to be lacking something. For some of you, relationally, you're so bruised and hurting. No one could ever love me. Oh, my goodness, when they, when, they, when they see me for who I am, they're going to be gone. So, therefore, man, i got to put up a front. Relationally, man, you're, you're just, your thoughts are off, and it's a stronghold. What's a stronghold? It's deception, and it's a lie. Listen to me. If you have invited Jesus Christ into your heart by praying a prayer of confession that he came, that he died, that he rose from again, the Bible says in Corinthians that you are a brand new creation. It goes on to say in the Bible that he will begin to work a good work in you and he will complete it. You were in this process of time. If that is you, if you've given your life to Christ, if you're trusting his process, then here's the reality. You've got to embrace that process and it's going to be ugly and it's going to be dirty and it's going to be gross. And guess what? Someone somewhere down the line is going to know exactly what's going on in your life. And you need to be okay with that. There's a, there's a hyper phrase in Christianity today in churches all around. We need community, community, community. I'm all about community. But true community is ugly. True community says, hey, I know you may think I've got it all together, but can I tell you some things? And it takes a good godly community to be able to say, hey, you know what, you can tell me that. I'm a 
to pray with you. I'm going to point you to God's word. It's going to be all right. Listen, listen to me very carefully, very carefully. If you cannot define the number one stronghold in your life, you will never overcome whatever it is eventually that you figure out. Whatever you cannot find, whatever you cannot define, you cannot defeat. You've got to look at your problem straight on and say, you're a problem. I'm going to share, you, I'm going to share with you mine at the, end of this, at, at, at the end of this time, okay? This isn't something like, oh, I'll just get a good word for today. I'm living this. Even right now to this day, even in this moment, I'm living this. The number one stronghold in your life. I've said it. Maybe it's this. It's your self-talk. I'm never going to be good enough. My past is too bad. God can't use me. I can't trust anybody. I can't get close to anybody. I'm never going to be in a job that I love. I'm always going to be behind financially. All of my relationships, no matter how hard I try, man, they, they just fall apart. What's the number one stronghold holding you back? got to define it. It's important. So, I'm going to get a little technical on you here. Is that okay? Okay, I'm going to geek out a little bit. All right, I live in a college town, Cal Poly. A lot of smart, smart people. Much smarter than I, that is. Neural pathway. Go with me. A neural pathway, scientists have discovered that it used to be that the brain would stop growing at adolescence. And if that was the case for some of us, we'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> you know who I'm talking to, okay? But they've discovered that that's actually simply not the truth. The brain evolves and keeps growing. And what happens is, is they have a thing called a neural pathway. Now, a neural pathway is that when you begin to think a thought, it creates a path. So imagine for a moment you're, you're going on a hike, if you like that kind of thing. You're at Yosemite, and you, you're on a path, but then you look over and you see it, and the grass has grown up really tall. If you keep walking over that back and forth, right, what's going to happen? Talk to me. It's going to go down. And then what are you going to have? Path. Okay, so if I'm negative, guess what? I've got a path to walk on. And if I'm always negative, I can see that path. You starting to pick this up a little bit? It's easy to think a thought again when I don't address it. People that are negative-minded walk that path all the time. And because they haven't dealt with it, they're just negative by nature. However, if I determine that God has not called me to be a negative person in my thinking or in my mind, then what I've got to do is I've got to create a new pathway, which means I've got to start to think God's word. And when I do that, guess what I do? I create a new pathway, a better one. And guess what? The more I think right, the easier it is to walk down that path. Okay, I'm going with me. Just go with me, okay? I know I'm geeking out, but just follow me. It's going to be something. Okay, now scientists have discovered that, okay, I can have a neural pathway. But they've also discovered this, that when you do something that is good and that you like, there's a drug that goes off in your mind, okay? I'm going to say it. It's called dopamine. Now, don't stop at dope. That's not good. That will ruin your mind. Don't do that. It's dopamine. What it does is it gives your body, and you've had this happen before. You maybe just don't know what it is. Something good happens and something goes off. And you're like, ooh, I like that. Right? All my young people in here, right? You're like, ooh, I'm going to go ahead and take that selfie. I'm going to take that selfie, and I'm going to hope that one girl or that one guy, I'm going to hope they like it. So you post it, and then this is you because you're so hooked to it. You're just like, have they seen it yet? Have they seen it yet? And then, oh, 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 they hearted it. They hearted it. Ooh, dopamine goes off in the brain just like that. I'm dead serious. True story. 
Somebody says, oh, man, you look good in that dress. Ladies, you know what happens? Boom, dopamine, just like that. Woo! Gentlemen, you're at work. All of a sudden, you get a text message from your wife. Honey, I'm thinking about you. Come home now. Boom. Dopamine. Don't look at me that way. Stop being so holy. Listen, you married guys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get that text message at work, you're taking the day off. Here's what they've discovered, okay? This isn't mine. This is scientists, the guys who are really smart. They've discovered that when that happens, it's like you get this, this chemical hit. It's a thrill, and your brain goes, man, let's think that again. Let's think that again. Let's think it again. Let's think it again. Here's my response to science. My response says that when I begin to get God's word on the inside of my heart, and I begin to put it to use, that good begins to happen, boom, dopamine, just like that. And then what begins to happen is, is simply this. Now, I want to think that thought again. And I want to think it again. And when the devil comes with his lies, I'm going to think it again. And then if he comes again, I'm going to get bolder, and I'm going to scream it out loud. So I'm going to scream it out loud. And something begins to go off. Now, I know it sounds technical and sciencey and all that stuff. God's creative, okay? He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what you would need. But here's the deal. You've got to begin to determine what the number one stronghold in your life is. All right? And then here's what you do. You ready? It's the best part. My favorite part. You then name the truth that demolishes the stronghold. So when I determine this is the number one thought that is stopping me in my tracks, in my marriage, in my job, in my finances, with my kids, in my community, on this team, whatever the case may be. When I determine that this is a wrong thought, it's not of God, what I've got to do is I've got to name it. And I've got to say, no, this is not good. Then I've got to give it an answer. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will never defeat what you cannot define. So you then name the truth that demolishes the lie. So what's the truth? Here's the thing. We need to identify the lie and replace it with God's truth. Reminds me of the story of the baby elephant who was tied to a pole in the ground and chained up. Some of you maybe heard this before. I'll paraphrase this story so you can go get lunch. Baby elephant's tied and begins to walk in a circle. But it wants to be free, but it's tied up. So as it's walking around the circle, it starts to think, I want to be free. Man, I wish I was free. So it pulls. But when it pulls, it realizes it's chained. So it walks around again, says, okay, I've got this. <clears throat> Pulls again, doesn't, doesn't break. Days go by. Months go by. He pulls, and he pulls, and he pulls. Can't break the chain. So after a while, what happens? The baby elephant in its mind decides, you know what? Every time I pull, I'm never free never breaks. So you know what? I'm chained. Pulls too strong. Chain don't break. And then it decides, I'm just not going to pull anymore. 
baby elephant eats, grows, strong as can be. Goes from being a baby to being an adult. Over time, you would think, well, all the elephant has to do is just pull. It's big enough now, strong enough now. Surely it can break the, break the chain. But it started believing a lie in its mind that wasn't true. And it stopped pulling. Many of you are like that baby elephant chained to a pole. You've believed a lie for so long, and you've stopped pulling. And you're never free. Let me give you my chain. I'll give you my pole. You ready? Never good enough. I'll never be good enough. Many of you have a story like mine, so I'm not trying to compare it. Some of you have stories that are far worse than mine. My daddy left when I was three years old. I had a twin brother, and I had a little brother. And apparently at three years old, he decided he wanted nothing to do with me. A lot of situations to the story as a kid. You don't get to know all the information. But for so many years, I used to wonder, was I not good enough for my dad? I guess not. At the age of 16, my mom was addicted to alcohol. She became an alcoholic. Used to go in her room at night and find bottles of Jack Daniels underneath her bed. New bottle every day, gone by every night. I used to get close and I could smell the alcohol oozing through her skin. I used to say things like, hey, mama, um, I don't know if you can hear me right now, but the mail came and it says we have this bill. And if we don't pay this bill, they're going to turn off the heater to the water so we can't take a hot shower. Hey, mom, I don't know if you know this, but there's really no food in the cupboard. And we're kind of hungry. What should we do? And I used to tell myself that I guess I wasn't good enough for my mom to make right decisions. So then I got adopted. My mom went to rehab. And all throughout my life, playing baseball. I didn't play baseball because I loved the game of baseball. I played baseball because I just wanted someone to accept me. To tell me that I was good enough. You know what happened, though? I gave my life to Christ. And then Christ began to change the way that I think. And one day I remember I forgave my dad and I forgave my mom. And God called me to the ministry. And it was really great. And then I started preaching. I started becoming a pastor. And I'd get up on stage and I'd be like, I'd preach. And then I'd walk off the stage going, what in the world did I just say? Dear Lord, I wouldn't even go to that church. Man, I'm a pretty boring preacher. I'm not a really good pastor. And then I started to say, you know what, man, I'm not, I'm not really good enough. Well, maybe I should start doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. Maybe people will like me. Because my stronghold was never good enough. So then life even got more complicated. I got a twin brother. Looks just like me, by the way. Yes, we were born on the same day. So you're like, you're a twin? Uh-huh. You're like born on the same day? Nah, man. 1259-103. Different days. But I had a little brother. Year below. Two and a half years ago, he died of a drug overdose. 15 years as a crystal meth addict. You know what I said to myself one day? told you I'd be very open and vulnerable today. Maybe I wasn't a good enough brother to my little brother. 
maybe, maybe, maybe I didn't invite them to church enough. Maybe I didn't pray for them enough. Man, Rich, you should have fasted. That would have done it. Must not be a good enough brother. A year ago, my wife's brother in his 20s, he dies. So now we're grieving. You ever walked through grief before? Man, it's ugly. Man, it's ugly. Grief, grief is ugly. We're going to go and bury my brother-in-law on a Saturday. I get a call on a Friday. Mentor in my life. He's dead. Unexpectedly. You know how selfish this sounds? I was like, man, I'm going to be there for my wife. I've, wa- I've walked through the death of my brother. I'm going to be there for my wife. And then my mentor dies. My world is shook. Now I can't even be there for her. You want to know what I said to myself? There you go again. You ain't good enough. You ever been there? Don't feel like a good enough pastor, a good enough man of God, a good enough husband, a good enough dad, a good enough friend. Man. God, you've placed me in a city. I'm supposed to pastor people, and I don't know if I could do it. And all of a sudden, these words and these thoughts begin to come in my mind. Went like this, you ready? No matter what you do, you'll fail. Because if you give it all to the church, you're going to fail at home. And if you give it all at home, you're going to fail at the church. Whatever message you do, it's not quite good enough. You can't meet everybody's expectations. They want to meet, but you can't meet. You let them down. Rich, you're nothing but a failure. You try and you try, but guess what? It's not quite good enough. You want to know, what, you want to know the reason why that, that it's so powerful to me? It's because it's actually true. I'm not good enough. I can't be with everybody. I'll never meet their expectations. I'll never be the pastor they want me to be or the friend they want me to be. It's so powerful because it's so true. But the truth is, I am on my own never enough. Because on my own, I don't have what it takes. But the truth is, hear me, I'm not on my own. Listen, God is always with me. His spirit dwells within me. I have access to his living word, which is powerful, which is sharp. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells within me. And when I begin to recognize that, I begin to understand that I am enough. Now that's selfish me. How about you? Oh, I'm not good enough. Yeah, you're right. You aren't good enough. You never will be. But Christ in you, oh, whole other ball game. I can't be the husband that I need to be. Yeah, you're probably right, you can't. But Christ in you, you can. Wife, same deal. Parent, same deal. Business owner, same deal. Inside of you, you are sinful. You have a sinful nature. But Christ in you, you have power. You have authority because of God's word. I am so, hear me, so tired 
of myself even. When I buy into the lie that says I can't do it. And then other people start to say it. And I'm like, I don't know if I can say this in Stockton. I feel like I can. Like, shut up. Can I say that here? Is that okay? Like, knock it off. Please do not tell me you believe God's word to be true and powerful and you actually believe a statement like that. Listen to me, church. The church doesn't need a bunch of people who consistently say, I can't and I never will. We live in a broken, lost, and dying world. And they are looking for someone who's openly admitting that on my own, I can't. But with God, I can. And when you believe that, and when you believe that, there is no telling what can happen in your world. So, what's the number one stronghold in my life? I'm going to name it. I'm not good enough. Ready for this? My favorite part. But then, oh man, this gets good. Ready? I'm going to name the truth that demolishes it. So I'm going to give you the truth for me. When I said, you know what? I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm hurting. I'm down. Blah, 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 blah. And that's what all it was. It was a lot of blah. God quickened my mind to a scripture that I memorized years ago. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God's divine power has given everything we need to live a godly life. And then I made it personal. God's divine power has given to me everything that I need to live a godly life. Translation, I will be a great man of God. I will be a great husband. I will be a great dad. I will be a great friend. I will be a great pastor. I will be a great human being because it costs me nothing to be kind to people. God will give me everything I need. So therefore, guess what? I have all the time that I need. I can meet with everybody at some point. It can happen. And now all of a sudden, guess what? I've just created a pathway. Because I've changed my thinking, it's going to change my life. The Apostle Paul, ah, I'm going to Rome. I'm going to preach the gospel. Leaders are going to get saved. He walks into Rome. They put him in shackles. They put him in prison. Hey, God. Not quite the plan I was thinking of. But all of a sudden, Paul realizes something. Every eight hours, they're going to change my guard. They would chain the prisoners to a prison guard. Ready for this? Every eight hours, Paul got a different guard. <laughs> Who do you think the prisoner was now? Oh, you finally got it. Because every eight hours, Paul was preaching the gospel to a prison guard. And then when you read in the scriptures, they started getting saved. How did he do that? He mastered his mind. He took his thoughts captive. He made them obedient to Christ. I'm telling you, friends, you can do the same. Amen.